0: He always surprises me with these little quizzes. I'm Shelley McBurney. I am your Minister of Small Groups and Connections this morning. 2,000 years ago, Jesus used the small group as the ideal environment for making disciples. There are 13 scriptures in the Gospels where Jesus, Peter, James, and John spent time alone. The small group was essential to disciple-making process then, and it still is essential today. Once again, I want to challenge you to join or create a small group. Find two or three friends and start this series. Part of the disciple-making process is to train people to go out and teach, and that's what we have been doing for the last 16 months. Stephanie went out in March and started another group. Kim, Virginia, and I are ready. If you want a facilitator, if you're not, don't feel you're able to do it yourselves, call me. We will work out a time and a place, and we will get your small group going with this first book. That's all I ask. Commit to doing this first book. Four weeks, four lessons. And then if you decide you want to continue, that's great. This particular course is designed to help you understand the importance of small groups in the process of making disciples. We're all called to make disciples. As you work through the weekly lessons, they will serve as a guide to helping you discover what a mission-driven small group looks like. Applying these truths as you learn them will make your small group time a great and rewarding experience. The elements of a small group are fellowship and accountability, spiritual growth, prayer, and missions. And Virginia's going to tell you a lot more about those four elements when she talks to you today. So today we will be out in the narthex after the service with drinks and snacks, and we'd love to share with you more about our small group and any questions that you might have. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Virginia Yancey, one of my best friends, as she shares her thoughts about our small group and how it has changed her life.
1: Hi. Hi. (laughs) Everybody having a good morning? Good. I'm having a little trouble with my Bible verse, so just bear with me. Oh, well, now it's going to sing. Matthew twenty-eight. My goodness, there it is. All right. So I've been asked to share my experience in small group with you guys today. Shelly and I had done an earlier small group together, but when she started this second one, we added some folks. Uh, that's when Kim came in, and so it was me, Kim, and Shelly. And during that time. Of course, I unexpectedly had to take custody of three of my granddaughters. Luna was a newborn. Corey Jesse was two. And Serenity was eight. And I had to step away from the group. I was really overwhelmed. But eventually, things smoothed out, and Shelly invited me to come back to small group. Stephanie joined us. And Shelley asked us all to pray about a series called Disciple Making Essentials. It would be a long term commitment. It consisted of eight books, each having four to eight weekly lessons. So we all made that commitment and we started our small group in February of twenty twenty. Now although I know what the series was about, which is disciple making, I didn't deep down know what that meant. So what is small group? And what does small group have to do with disciples' making? Well, everything. See, Jesus spent three years with the 12 men that he chose, teaching them what they needed to know. And he accomplished that by being with them every day. They had a front row seat at the feet of Jesus. And they learned by listening to the teacher teach. They asked questions and had discussions about what they were learning. They observed everything he did, his kindness, his compassion, grace, and mercy. They traveled together, they ate together, and they prayed together. And he taught them everything they needed to know. And with his last breath, when he said, It is finished. The students became the teachers. He had taught them everything they needed to know. Jesus taught them as a group of twelve, but he also had his inner group of four. And he taught them what they needed to know so that they could go out and teach someone else to be a disciple. And then that someone could go out and teach another to be a disciple. That was God's plan. And you've probably read it countless times, Matthew 28:18, which I'm having just a smidgen of trouble with still. There we go. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's better known the Great Commission. In John 2021, 20, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. So small groups consist of the following four things: fellowship, spiritual growth, prayer, and missions. That's what Jesus did in his small group. It's what he intended the disciples to do in their small groups. And it's what we do in our small group. We fellowship. Although we stay in contact throughout the week, I can't wait for us all to be together in person. We share our week's happenings. We catch up on what's going on in our lives. We share God's sightings. We share the happy things. And we share the hard things. We share deeply personal and often painful things in our lives. A small group is a safe place. Nothing leaves that space that we don't want shared with others. We laugh, we cry, we learn, and we grow. We have spiritual growth. This study has, was a long-term commitment for us, and it's not been easy. There were some weeks we all did a lot of rearranging just to make it happen. We continued in spite of COVID via Zoom. And for those of us that had small school-age kids, navigating the hybrid highway also become another challenge. But we took on that challenge one week at a time. The foundation began with that very first book. And book by book, we strengthened that foundation and continued to grow. We read, discussed, shared our thoughts, there was no question that was ever silly or off limits. We've laughed long, we've laughed hard with one another. I have found great joy in our time together. We learn from each other, and one of the things that I love about our small group is our different ages and our different backgrounds. We all pull from our different life experiences. And This happens all the time with us. We can all read the same question, paragraph, or Bible verse, and all interpret it completely differently. We have great conversations because of that. It opens us up to a totally different view on things. And then there's aha moments. See, for years I've been asking God to show me His plan for my life. I envisioned this big adventure where I'd get to do great things for God. But apparently, God had a different plan in mind for me. And one day during a small group, it just kind of clicked into place. I only had one thing to do in order to follow Jesus, Jesus and God's plan for my life. And it was so simple. Love one another. That's it. That's what God did and still does. He loves us right where we are. Everything starts and ends with love. We pray. We pray for each other, for others, for our families, for our church, for our church family. The list just keeps going. We praise God in prayer for all his blessings, and we thank God for all he's done and all he's going to do. We do missions, too, from really big things like Feed the Need The small things like putting up or taking down holiday decorations around the church. Doesn't matter if you do something big or small, each act of service is helping someone else. When I started this series, I had a lot of growing to do, I had a lot of unexpected responsibilities in my personal life. I also have a job that's very stressful. And I wasn't ready to take on any type of leadership role here at Good Shepherd, nor was I prepared to teach anything to anyone else. Just over a year later, the girls are back home in the custody of their mom, and mom and girls are thriving. I've gained back my time and the confidence to step up. I'm ready to teach as well as learn from a small group that gives me the honor of sharing that with them. I'm excited to do this series again. There's just so much really good stuff in there. I couldn't soak it all in, it's really powerful. And I could not have anticipated how much small group has changed my life, but it has. I can't imagine my life without small group and without these amazing and beautiful women that I get to do it with. They're my sisters, my friends, my mentors, and my prayer warriors. They're also brutally honest sometimes when it's needed. But I love them. So Shelly, Kim, Stephanie... What an incredible adventure we're on together. So, each of you here today, whether in person or just watching, please pray about starting a small group. I would ask of you to just commit to do the very first book. It's just a few weeks, and you'll get to see what small group is really about. I want every one of you to have this chance to share and experience what my small group has experienced. And I'll end with this. If I am his disciple, I am commanded to go and make disciples of others. Thank you.
2: Virginia, so much, and uh, really, I want to say a bit of thanks to the entire small group that she's part of. Uh, hey, there's my mask I was looking for earlier. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they have led the way in this study uh, for us as a church, and uh, I know what you're on what book five, box. Eight they're in eight now wow, so they they're in the last one out of the series, and uh I know I have seen a transformation in each of them and what they are offering and doing for us as a congregation and uh and leading the way. so I just want to say a bit of thanks to them for that so good morning, church. Uh, my name is Davis Taylor. For those of you that do not know me, I am the, I don't know, what is my official talk? Finance and Facilities Manager. Uh, I like to call myself General Flunky sometimes, but that's besides the point. Uh, I am blessed and honored to be able to come today and bring the word to you, and so let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that the words that I say, the meditations of my heart, be the things that... You want said and done. Father, I ask that you open our ears to your words, to the things that we need to hear from this message, Lord, that we hear them from you, not from my lips, but from you. So, Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name, and all God's people said. Amen. What is fellowship? Well, according to the dictionary, Or actually, Google now. Fellowship is a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. It's companionship, mutual support, mutual respect, closeness. Or, as our favorite word from last week, togetherness. Togetherness. Or in another way, let me ask you a question. How many in here like to watch the History Channel show The Curse of Oak Island? Raise your hands. Got a few fans. Debbie's stuck with it because I watch it all the time. So Oak Island is this island uh, in Nova Scotia. People have been searching for treasure on it for over 200 years. Uh, and now there's actually a reality show, or it's not really a reality show, it's actually telling the tale of the people that are searching there now, um, the Laguna brothers. And interesting enough, in the last several seasons, in what they call the Money Pit area, they have found human, bu- human bone at over 100 foot deep. And these bones trace back to Africa and also to Europe from the 15 and 14 and 13 and 1200s. They have found uh, pieces of parchment paper that traces back hundreds of years at 100 foot deep in the ground, and they have found medieval crosses. And so this is a continuation. And so what they call themselves, the group that is gathered now, is the Fellowship of the Dig, because it is a dig, and that's what they do all the time is dig. And so they are a group of people, and I know the definition, that are meeting together to pursue a shared interest or aim or goal. Similar would be an association, a society, a brotherhood, a fraternity, a sorority, a band, or a group. We kind of know those words, bands and groups, and some of our small groups. But the real question today is what is Christian fellowship? And so I say it's, unfortunately, folks, it's not just getting together over a meal or a potluck and talking about things. Unless, of course, those things are of God. Wes McAdams, in an article for Radically Christian, explains it like this. The Greek word we translate fellowship is koinonia. Everybody say kononia. It sounds like we're repeating ourselves. And the word meant something like partnership. In the first century world, to be in fellowship with someone meant to be partners with them in some joint effort. Sharing a meal with someone might have implied to others that two people were in fellowship, but the partnership, but the meal wasn't their fellowship. Excuse me. Their meal wasn't the fellowship. Their fellowship was a deep and intimate partnership. And our Faith Matters class has shared some resources this week actually regarding Christian fellowship, and it really dives deeper into that. And if you would like, uh, you can actually i have shared those resources in our YouVersion Bible app. And if you don't have the Bible app and would like to uh, have links to those, just ask me and I'll be free to share, or I know Jerry Brothers in the class would, would be glad to share with you as well. So our focus for this series that we're in right now is actually Acts 2.42. And if you will read with me, it's on the screens or if you have your Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now Acts 2 is a history that really all Christians should be or become familiar with. It is the beginning of the church Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost here, and we covered three of the four tenets of Acts 2.42. We worshiped, we had a message, and we had a great time of gathering and fellowship over a meal with gospel music and, and conversation. Now, there are examples, many examples of fellowship in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, most all of those examples will have Jesus in or at the center of them countless stories that we would consider to be fellowship events we have Jesus eating with Matthew and the other sinners in Luke 5:27 we have Jesus at the wedding feast in John 2 Jesus healing the man lowered from the roof into the house Luke 5:17 Jesus with Mary and Martha side note i am unfortunately a very big Martha. I love to work, I love to stay busy, but I've always struggled to stop and be at the master's feet. Because there's always something to do and I love to host. And it's hard. But that story really speaks to me. But that story's in Luke ten. And so I ask you, do you notice a theme when you think back through all of these stories? Yes, people are eating, they're listening. But the focus is on Jesus and what he's doing, even at the wedding. Without Jesus, the whole party ends. Focus on God is what makes an event or small group a Christian fellowship, or even a church for that matter. And that is the purpose of fellowship in Acts 2.42. So today I want to take this a little while, and let's look at two specific examples of small group type settings. One's going to be from the Old Testament and one from the New. And so one of the greatest examples of a true small group is found in what Old Testament book, would you think? It's probably a few. Huh? Daniel? Oh, that's my wife saying that back there. She knows. Daniel. Daniel. Uh, Specifically, starting in chapter 1, and that's where our focus is going to be right now. Now, I want you to understand... I could take the first 3 books of Daniel and any anyone really could and do a whole series on it. So there's a lot of information here, but I do promise you this will not be one of my longest sermons ever. I know that's what some of y'all are thinking when I got up here. So, but in Daniel chapter 1, we find Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He has come to Jerusalem and besieged it. Judah is conquered, and Nebuchadnezzar is the earthly king above all kings. He rules everything. And so in the third year of the reign of Jehokim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Judah into his hands, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in, a tre- put in the treasure house of his God, the king, ordered his chief of, of, the king ordered the chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some for Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah of Bendigo. The side note here, in the original Hebrew, Shadrach, originally named Hananiah, the Hebrew meaning is God is gracious. For Mishael, the name is who is like God. And Azariah, God is helped. That is important throughout the rest of the story. The meaning of their Hebrew name centered on the one true God, And for Daniel, his name meant God is my judge. So we continue now in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Daniel then said to the guard, "'Please test your servants for ten days.'" Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to them, and they entered the king's service. Moving on to chapter 2, in Daniel, we find at this point Nebuchadnezzar is distraught over a dream. And he calling the magicians, astrologers, and such to him, he asks for them to tell him his dream and interpret for him. They all said no one could do both. He must reveal the dream first. He is furious and orders all the wise men of Babylon to death. When the news reaches Daniel that... W- What is his first reaction? Daniel goes to his small group. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Haniah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. I've been blessed for, I've been a few groups, but I've been blessed with one in particular for about five years now. Maybe six, I don't know, it's been a long time. A group of guys here at the church, we've been meeting most every other Thursday night, for the most part, for the last five to six years. Uh... We pray, we sit down, have dinner Uh, outside of Jumbo and Delicious. I don't think there's really a restaurant in town that we've gone to twice in the last five years. And we squirrel a lot and lose focus. But that group of guys, much like Daniel's group of guys, if I went to them and needed prayer, I know they would be there. The same they know I would be there for them. And that they or we would do anything for each other to lift each other up. That is the importance of small groups in our lives and what it means. So Daniel goes and he reveals the dream and interprets it to Nebuchadnezzar. And in response, he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon. Their faithfulness to God had given them everything. So we move quickly into chapter 3. And at this time, after all this, Nebuchadnezzar, being the king that he is, has built a great statue of gold and demanding everyone to bow down and worship it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. Now in the king's council, there are some that come to him and say, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs and provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Absolutely furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned them and said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? they, I could just imagine seeing them stand up and do this. And they replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your Majesty." That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them and ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the furnace was so hot and so hastily prepared that the men that threw them in the furnace died. But these three men, firmly tied, fell down into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. And he said, Look, I see four. 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 There you go. I see four. Walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. You see, there was another in the fire. They stood together. And their faith had saved them. Their names had said it all. Throughout their story, God was gracious. Who is like God? And God has helped. So we're going to move to the New Testament now, in John 21. And after the resurrection and the first revealing, this is kind of setting the stage. This is, like I said, post the resurrection. And Jesus has revealed himself twice already to the disciples and to the women. And unfortunately, the disciples are still lost. Still not quite getting it. And they start to go back to what they had always known. And a small group had actually returned to fishing. And after being out all night and with nothing to show for it, well, let's pick up in verse 4. John 21. Early the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize who he was. Jesus shouted, Friends, have you not caught anything? No, they answered. So he told them, Let down your nets on the right side of your boat and you will catch some fish. They did, and the net was so full of fish that they could not drag it up into the boat. Jesus' favorite disciple... i notice this translation I put down. does not say the one he loved. It says it's his favorite, so I mean, it's just... <laughs> I've got a kick out of that one. But Jesus' favorite disciple told Peter, "'It is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on the clothes that he had taken off while he was working.' Then he jumped into the water. The boat was only 100 yards from shore, so the other disciples stayed in the boat and dragged in the net full of fish. So here goes Peter, just like Peter. He's run off. He let everybody else do the work. But Jesus is on the shore. When the disciples got out of the boat, they saw some bread and a charcoal fire with with fish on it. And Jesus told his disciples, Bring some of the fish you just caught. Jesus said, come and eat. But none of the disciples dared to ask who he was, for they knew he was the Lord. Jesus took the bread in his hands and gave some of it to his his disciples, and he did the same with the fish. Jesus will meet you where you're at. Let me say that again. Jesus will meet you where you're at. So to wrap all this together, we're going to go back so we can kind of figure out how we got to this point in the sermon. Acts chapter 2. It starts at Pentecost. We remember the disciples gathered when the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they all started speaking in tongues where all who were gathered heard in their own language. Even so to the point, some had said that they were drunk. And then Peter stands up. You remember Peter, the one that jumped in the water? Peter that denied Jesus three times to the crow of the cock? Jesus, or Peter that stood before Jesus just after those verses we read from John, the same Peter that stood there and Jesus said, not once, twice, but three times, feed my sheep. This Peter, this Peter that has struggled throughout the New Testament with following Christ. This Peter stands up. He stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. And he reminds the crowd of the words of the prophet Joel. Then we're going to skip down to verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this, Peter continues. "Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as yourselves, you yourselves know. The man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross." But God has raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then Peter goes into words from King David explaining all of this. We pick up in verse 32. He says this, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it exalted to the right hand of God he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah they looked at Peter and asked what shall we do? And Peter's reply in verse 38. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. now I want you to get, listen to this last part. For you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And that promise... Was for then, for yesterday, for today, and tomorrow. It's the promise we live by. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. And so that is the they, they are the they that we read about in verses 42 through 47. They are the fellowship of the believers. And then, and that is the gospel. That is the foundation we stand on today. So i ask Dana if she's ready. Come on up, Rick. It's so a question I have for you. Are you in the fire? I encourage you to find a small group willing to be open and honest that will stand in faith with you. If you're in the fire, God will stand with you. Are you full of uncertainty, even though you know that God has been there before? Find a small group that will pull extra weight when you're swimming in expectation. Jesus will meet you at your lakeshore. Christian fellowship, no matter the fun, the food, or event, revolves around a relationship with God. Let us each get back to making God our focus in everything. And all the glory to God. Amen. Now, we're going to sing our last hymn here. And there's a piece that you all have options. You can stand and sing, which I encourage you to. If you're struggling and it's been a while, and it's been a long time since these rails have been open over the last year, but if you want to come to these rails, they are open. We just ask you to give each other space. Or you can stay seated in your pew and and pray. And ask God to comfort you and come to you. And that's what I'll be praying for, for each of us. So, as we prepare.
3: As you're able, stand with me as we sing our closing hymn today. Blessed be the tie that binds. be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds in common people. Still be joined in heart and hope to me again. Our reading this morning comes from Psalm 133. Look at how good and pleasing it is when families live together as one. It is like expensive oil poured over the head, running down onto the beard, Aaron's beard, which extended over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew on Mount Hermon, streaming down onto the mountains of Zion, because it is there that the Lord has commanded the blessing, everlasting life.
2: Acts 2:42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Everyone every day continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, open us to your ways. Bring us back to your basics. For your glory, Lord, let us include you in all our fellowship and center ourselves around you. So go forth, people of God. Remember who and whose you are. And know God's presence in all you do. And keep his presence in fellowship with you wherever you may be. For we are Good Shepherd United Methodist Church, a fellowship of the Lord Most High. Amen, amen and amen. Go
4: so with God. You're dismissed.